This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. فَمَا فَسَجَدُوا إِلَّا إِبْلِيسَ أَبَى وَاسْتَكْبَرَ وَكَانَ مِنَ الْكَافِرِينَ وَقُلْنَا يَا آدَمُ اسْكُنْ أَنْتَ وَزَوْجُكَ الْجَنَّةِ وَكُلَا مِنْهَا رَغَدًا حَيْثُ شِئْتُمَا وَلَا تَقْرَبَا هَذِهِ الشَّجَرَةَ فَتَكُونَا مِنَ الظَّالِمِينَ رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقده من لساني يفقه قولي فالحمد لله والصلاه والسلام على رسول الله وعلى اله وصحبه اجمعين ثم اما بعد once again everyone السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته so today we start off where we left off halfway through ayah number 34 we got to the point where Allah azza wa jalla had commanded all the angels to do sajda and they did so immediately fasajadu the letter fa in arabic is also used for mubashara something that's done without delay something that's done immediately if it takes time to do it then you say thumma sajadu right but Allah says fasajadu which means they immediately bowed down this is important to mention because when the story started and Allah told them that human being is being put in a position of honor dignity and responsibility they had an issue but now that issue has been resolved so now when the command is given to do sajda they're immediately falling into sajda in it lies a powerful lesson and the lesson is that for for people just like the angels if they didn't understand something before you tell them to do something you have to help them understand you know you can't just expect people human beings to follow orders or follow commands if they have no understanding for why they're following them that even applied to the angels allah azza wa jalla did not start off with do sajda to adam He actually said, I'm going to put Adam as a Khalifa on the earth. That decision has been made. And then it was actually a discussion. And Allah explained to the angels through demonstrating what, by Adam's capability, why he deserves this position. And then came the command because of or to, whichever opinion you follow, that that sajda should be done. Right? So that rationale, that thought process is critical for the believers too. Today we want our children to do something. Make salah, you know, or, or get up for fajr or whatever. And we, and, and then our kids become teenagers, and their 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 friends in high school are doing things, and you're like, that's haram. You can't do that. You can't talk like that. You can't go with them. You can't do this. You can't be friends with these people. You can't, you know, you can't hang out this late at night. And their immediate question all the time is, why, 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 why can't I? How does that make any sense? Explain to me. And then you say, because I said so. No, no, no. Give me a better because you're gonna burn in hell. Well, why am I gonna burn? Because I said so. I was like. <laughs> That's not helping me. So what happens is these same kids that don't get satisfactory answers, where they themselves acknowledge, Subhanaka la ilma lana illa ma'allamtana, they, they acknowledge it and they understand that they've been convinced. Then when you try to impose your commands on them, the moment they get free will to the point where they're adults and they can do their own thing, you're going to see them rebel. You're going to see them not listen. And then, then those same moms that used to be able to you know, yield their influence or those... Those dads that used to be able to tell their kids what to do when they were at a certain younger age, they're completely out of your control. They don't even call, look back. Once they get a car, they're gone. They get their own place, you know, and they disappear from your life. And you're shocked, why did that happen? Um, for those of you that have younger children, this is the time to reason with your children. You know, when, you're, when your kids are 7, 8, 9, 10 years old, around this age, we start building an understanding of the deen which revolves around one question, why? Why? Our religious education should surround that question, not the question what. Currently, our Islamic education, unfortunately, is focused entirely on what. What is, what is the obligation? 
You know, and what and how? How do you make wudu? How do you pray? What must you recite? What must you do? There's the what and there's the how. What question do we not bring up in our children's upbringing? The why. Why are we Muslim? Why do we do what we do? Why do we believe in Jannah? Why do we believe in Nar? Why do we believe in Allah? Why is our way the better way? Why is Islam the truth? These are questions that naturally every human being has and it's foolish for us to think that our children are born in a Muslim family so automatically they will never have the question why. Of course they will have the question why. And we don't provide those satisfactory answers then somebody else will. And somebody else will, will provide the answers and they're not going to be answers we're hoping for. You know? And then they'll bring those questions back. They'll bring them back to you. And then you're going to be in a panic. So we have to educate ourselves so we can educate our children. And really at the core of the education of the Muslim is the answer to the question why. And that I'm, I'm actually drawing that from the story of Adam salam. how Allah Azza before he commanded the angels to do something, he commanded them to do sajda. Before he did that, he actually demonstrated to them why is this so amazing? Why is the human being so amazing? Because they didn't see it at first. And it had to be shown to them. And then they were completely convinced, and there was not a moment of hesitation in their obedience, فَسَجَدُوا Then they immediately fell into sajda. Then of course Allah mentions, إِلَّا Iblis, Accept Iblis. The exception is Iblis. Why? Because there are always going to be people also who follow the path of Iblis, who no matter how much you reason with them, how much you convince them, how much you satisfactorily answer the question of why, that's still not enough for them. Because there's something inside them that keeps their minds from being leading them to good decisions. Even though intellectually they're convinced, rationally they're convinced, their hearts are too filled with pride. Their hearts are too filled with greed. Their hearts are too filled with self-importance to be able to let Allah take a superior position and themselves take a minor position. They, they can't accept it. And that's the path of Iblis. So he, he, he wasn't able to do it. فَسَجَدُوا إِلَّا Iblis. So you understand here that actually when the criticism was raised, Iblis is among them. And so he understands that criticism too. And when the demonstration of Adam's superiority is made, he's there too. And so when the command is issued, now that you understand, you should fall into sajda, but his pride kept him from doing so. And that's why Allah Azza wa Jal describes Abba. He refused. He refused. Abba. You know, um, Urdu speakers don't, you know, sometimes they, they have this confusion, like the Arabic word sounds like the Urdu word, so it must mean the same thing. Abba is not Abba Jan. Like, and if you put a shadda on it, like Abba, it's actually in Arabic, it means grass. So, <laughs> so like Abba, 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 like you're calling your dad like a weed. You know, like you're... <laughs> but Baba is okay, you know. My kids call me Abba, by the way. But anyway, so Abba, he refused. Wastakbara, and uh, by the way, Iba and Ibyan, as opposed to Arraft, Raft means refusal also. Rafaba would also have been translated, he refused. But when you say Abba, it's to refuse adamantly. To, to hold your ground and say, no, I won't, I, on principle or something. And he just put his foot down and said, no, I'm not going to. Abba. This is actually a say, the same verb used for Allah Azza wa when he's adamant about doing something. Allah is adamant. With, to, he refuses any alternative except to complete his light. Allah has, is determined to fulfill his light. Same verb is used. But then Allah says, وَاسْتَكْبَرَ He wanted greatness. It's so amazing that Allah Azza wa captures this word. There are two verbs used for arrogance in the Qur'an, from the same origin of kibr. Kibr means pride. Okay? And from it you get the word kabir, which means what? I think everybody here knows what kabir means. Big, right? Kibr is the want of being big, or the assumption that you're big, or that you're great. Okay? You get takabbur, and you get istikbar. فَمَا يَكُونُ لَكَ أَن تَتَكَبَّرَ فِيهَا So takabbur is used. 
And then istikbar is used. Here in this ayah, istikbar is used from the same origin. But each of them highlights something else. Tatakabbara and tatakabbara fiha is to actually to, to, to be big. It's not becoming of you to, you know, to assume yourself in a big position here. But istikbar is actually something that can exist inside someone. Takabbur is something manifest, something that comes out, the act. Istakbara could be someone wanted something inside of them. For example, istaghfara, from the same pattern, from the istif'al pattern. Istaghfara is to want forgiveness, to ask for forgiveness, to seek forgiveness. But even somebody asking for forgiveness or wanting forgiveness or seeking forgiveness may, all do, may be doing all of that inside of their heart. It may not come out. So the, the af'al that have alif, seen and ta in them, many of them are actually matters of the heart. So Allah says here, He sought greatness. He wanted greatness. Allah is diagnosing not the act that He committed, but the, the, what was going on deep inside of Him when He committed this act. So Abba, He refused, that's on the outside. Wastakbara, here's what was going on on the inside of Him. He wanted greatness for Himself. Which brings us to a very sensitive point. What is Iblis jealous of? Allah is not going to hand Adam salam some treasures and actually the best place you could be is already, he's already there, Jannah. If anything, from Jannah to the earth is a demotion, not a promotion. But why are you jealous of Adam? He's being taken out of Jannah into the earth. What's, the, what's there to be jealous of? And on top of that, he's being given massive responsibility. And a huge amana is being given to him. Why would you be jealous of him? The thing is, and this is important to understand, Recognition, recognition is a big part of pride. Between children, one kid, the father comes and says, I love you, I'm so proud of you. What's going on with the other kid? Hey son, why don't you wash my car? You do a good job. The other kid doesn't want to wash the car. He'd rather watch TV. But he's still upset that dad didn't ask me to wash the car because he doesn't think I'm qualified. Even if he did ask me, I would have said, no, Abai, I got to play a game. But the fact that he didn't ask me, it bothers me. You understand? There's this desire for what? Recognition. And uh, Iblis seems to want a lot of recognition from who? From Allah Azza wa He sees that even though responsibility has been had, it's not an award ceremony where he gets to be this free king and he gets to do whatever he wants. As a matter of fact, Allah will tell us about human life on this earth. لَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانَ فِي كَبَدْ We created the human being in toil, in labor. You know, he's going to be exhausted on this earth. It's, a, it's an effort to survive on this earth, to provide for yourself and your family, to make, a, to make a decent living, to get by, to survive the relationships that we have. It's not easy. And yet, it's the recognition that's been given them. He can't stand it. Why was he acknowledged? Why wasn't I acknowledged? Acknowledgement can drive a person to the point where they can become shaitan. And by the way, this is that same acknowledgement that leads one brother to kill the first murder in the history of humanity, Habil and Qabil in Sultan Al-Araf, the first murder happened not over money. It didn't happen over property. It didn't happen over, you know, some... Rec- it was actually a... تُقُبِّلَ مِنْ أَحَدِهِمَا وَلَمْ يُتَقَبَّلْ مِنَ الْآخَرِ One of... They both, you know, offered a sacrifice. One was accepted, the other wasn't. One was acknowledged, the other wasn't. <laughs> Same jealousy again. What drove the brothers of Yusuf salam insane to the point where they're willing to almost kill their brother? Throw him in the middle of a well, in the middle of the woods somewhere, out of, you know, out of nowhere. Who knows there's snakes in the well? Who knows there's not scorpions down in the well? It's a ditch in the middle of nowhere. They're willing to do that to their brother. Why? Because they're jealous of the recognition he gets from their dad. Now this idea of recognition, understand that, it, that you know, when we think of pride, we think of money, status, power, 
you know, these things. I tell you, those things pale in comparison when it comes to the human desire for recognition. The, 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 what shaitan will put inside you of wanting to be appreciated, wanting to be recognized, wanting to be acknowledged. You will have people that even in the name of Islam, that's the scariest part of it, even in the name of Islam, there are people that are serving masajid. And working at a masjid is not a fun thing, man. It's like applying for the zoning and getting the parking lot redone and talking to the contractors and taking care of the wudu area and all this stuff. It's not a fun thing to do. But there are people who leave their jobs spend extra hours away from their family to be boards of masajid and volunteers at masajid and have shura meeting after shura meeting about how we're going to spend the money, what initiatives are we going to start, what are we going to renovate, things like that, right? And even within that space, you have someone, who you have people that are wealthy background, that become, they want to be, they have this thing, I have to be the president of the masjid. I have to be the, dude, you're already the head of your department at work. You're the you're you're you know you know you're the, the doctor that all the nurses are running behind and taking instructions from. You're the head of your household. You're the wealthiest person. You have all these things that put you on top. But there's one place where they're not recognizing me, man. They're not acknowledging what I've done for them. I'm not getting the attention I deserve. I need to be declared, you know, supreme ruler of the masjid. Even in the masjid, and the masjid is a place. I'm not picking on doctors, by the way, sorry. I just had, you know, bad experiences in life, and I'm venting. But I'm saying it could be anybody. It could be anybody. It could be a, you know, like somebody who doesn't even have a career. But when they come into the masjid, it becomes about recognition. It becomes about the voting and the elections, and who are you going to vote for? And then this guy got up, and the other guy, and they, there's like all this, like, it's like Republican versus Democrat situation inside the masjid. Why? Over what? What are you winning? What are you winning? Who's, but, but this idea that people will recognize my contribution, somewhere in the back of this head, that in the head, that is actually istikbar, wanting greatness, wanting to be considered great, wanting that people will think of you as great, you know, putting that on your, on your badge, even though it, it gives you no physical benefit. There's no material benefit or gain that comes from it. But it's a disease that can hit people in the, in the material realm. You'll, have, you know, you'll find this, this pride thing, it affects every circle of humanity, every engagement of humanity. The pride affects families, inside of a family. There could be like a husband who constantly wants to be recognized and praised for what he does. And he gets angry all the time. You people don't even appreciate what I do for you. When was the last time you even thanked me for what I've done? And he's just constantly, he's, he's on this high... This high of him, he's like Fir'aun inside a one-bedroom apartment, you know. He needs to be declared ana rabbukum ala in that little world of his. There could be a little. You're in a department. You're like five, six people that work together. There are guys that work have like jobs you wouldn't even do unless you're desperate. There are guys that work in the sanitation department, and one guy drives the truck. One guy hangs in the back and picks up the trash cans or whatever, right? And the guy that's driving the truck is like, yeah, I'm the driver. Like in that little world, he's Fir'aun. He's got his stikbar. I got recognized, you know. These are, these are the kinds of things, this like ego contest happens inside the office, inside your department, within your teams, between teams. Then it extends even, you know, so it, it's, it happens in the world of business, it happens inside of families. Of course it happens between siblings. There's sibling rivalry. And as a matter of fact, that's one of the most dangerous kinds of ego rivalry there is. That is why after the first fall, the, the major sin of Adam salam in Jannah, which was the eating of the tree after that, the next sin that is recorded in human history is, a, is the rivalry between siblings. 
That's the next sin of humanity. That's the, the first murder in the history of humanity. And that all of it results in jealousy. Somebody thinks of, oh dad, he gives him all the attention. Oh, he thinks he's better than me. Or just because he's taller. Just because he went to that school. Just because he got better grades. And we don't help as parents. We take the kid who got a hundred on the test and we slap that hundred across the face of every other kid. You see, he got a hundred? You see? You see? This is why I like him more. This is why. You know? He's, he's better looking and he's smarter. What have you done? And this little, this short middle brother or sister, they're just constantly, just the thought of their sibling burns them. You know, it just burns them. And then you wonder why they fight so viciously. Why would, you, why would you just take your brother's toy and break it? Not even play with it. Just break it and then watch him squirm. Why would you do that? And the parents come and yell. Why are you breaking his toy? You're always doing these things. Yeah, that's exactly why. Because you love him so much more, right? <laughs> you love him. You love this toy more than you love me. And then, from childhood, from childhood, this is a stigmat. This is something shaitan instills inside humanity. This is what destroyed him. This is what destroyed him. So he wants to make sure we have it in every walk of our lives. As a matter of fact, he doesn't even leave the da'wah of Islam alone. Actually, I would argue he comes after that first. He'll come after a, a alim, an imam, a speaker, you know, a mufti, a faqih, and say, hey, more of them listen to him. Hey, he got the, he got the final speech at the convention. You only got the morning session. You know? Why didn't you... Why, why, why aren't they recognizing? You have far more qualifications than he does. Who is he? I mean, look at him. Did he go to school like you did? Did he get the ijazat that you got? Did you do this? Did, you, did he do that? Did he do this? He doesn't even know this. He hasn't even done that. And there's this like jealousy brewing inside. A servant of Allah's deen against other servants of Allah's deen. This is the sadness of this thing. You have to understand, the first jealousy was actually vying for position even in the religious realm. As a matter of fact, I would argue, Adam salam has been given a religious responsibility. And the jealousy therefore that stems is in the, in the field of serving deen. And so if we think that once you serve deen, alhamdulillah, you are automatically in the humble industry. You know, every other industry has pride. When you come inside the service of deen, then you're automatically humble. Check again. Actually, it starts here. Some of the most arrogant people described in the Qur'an were arrogant in the name of their religion. They were arrogant in the name of their religion. This is the space where pride attacks the most. There's a reason we recite the isti'adha before we recite Qur'an. A'udhu billahi shaitanir rajim. To the point, you know, there are some of you, uh, Alhamdulillah, sisters have a lot more dedication I've seen in our communities across the U.S. and even across the world of learning Quran, memorizing, studying Tajweed, learning Tafsir, things like that. They make the time and dedication. And then some sister learns Tajweed. And then all of a sudden, she's got this thing that I know Tajweed. These people, have you heard them recite Quran? Astaghfirullah, this sister doesn't even know. She doesn't, she doesn't even know the Fatiha meaning. What Quran have you learned this Qur'an that was supposed to humble you has done the exact opposite. This is yudillu bihi kathiran wa yahdi bihi kathiran. This is it. He misguides with the Qur'an lots of people. When your knowledge of Qur'an, your recitation of Qur'an, your memorization of Qur'an, your credentials, your religious credentials, somehow in your mind put you in a higher position, then you have, you have no Qur'an. Dude, you have no Qur'an. Remember that guy? That's, you don't have it. That's, that's not Qur'an. 
It's not supposed to elevate your appreciation among the people. It's supposed to elevate your status with Allah, not with the people. You, you, the, the more you study this book, the more it's supposed to humble you. It's supposed to bring you down. It's supposed to bring me down. That's the, and this is the istikbar that we have to be very, very careful about, especially in the religious space. We have parents here, I, have, I must say this, because this has become a disease culture in the ummah. And some of you will be offended by what I say, but that's okay, inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un. You have parents that want their children to memorize Qur'an. I'm happy for you. That's a beautiful thing to get our kids to memorize Qur'an. But when you want them to become a trophy, and my kid will lead taraweeh, and make sure they lead, and make sure they record it, and make sure you put it on YouTube. What are you doing? What are you doing? Why did you make them memorize the Qur'an? So you could show them off? So you could show them as the, as the star accomplishment in the community? There's this, this trophy that you're walking around with? This is why our children memorize the Qur'an. Memorizing the Qur'an was the first step in their journey to Allah. Their first step. Now they have the ayat in their heart. Now the rest of their lives, they will ponder on these words. They will learn the meanings of these words. They will serve these words and share these words with others. This was their first step, not their trophy. Well, there's two things to do. Memorize Qur'an and then become a doctor. I mean, my kid is like deen and dunya. We're set. You know, I'm, this is the best of both worlds. Because somehow after you memorize the Qur'an, no sin will ever hit you. What drug have you taken that got you to think this way? Hey, little boy. Hey, little boy. Hey, 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 little boy. Hey, little boy. Hey, you, turn around. Hi. No, no, hi. Okay, that's a camera. You're going to go behind it next time, okay? Okay, good boy. All right. Yeah, he won't forget. We're going to play that at his wedding. Okay, so... <laughs> So Look, istikbar, pride, it can come, it can creep inside what you think is the service of deen. It can. You have, you know, gatherings of, uh, sometimes there are gatherings of ulama, people of knowledge, you know. And there, I've met some really genuine scholars. Wallahi al-Azim, there are scholars that I've met that, man, it melts my heart when I meet them. Because they, their knowledge makes me feel like an ant. But they meet me like I'm some like teacher of theirs. And it melts me like, please don't do that. Please don't do that. And they'll tell me, I, I've benefited so much. No, you haven't. Please don't say that. I'm, I'm the one benefiting from you. It's the other way around. And then I've met people. And these are people that are like, literally, they're not only top-notch ulama in the world, they study, study to this day, at least 40, 50 hours a week. At least. They, they are more students than they are teachers. And then I've met young guys that have gone to study Islam for a year, two years, maybe four years, maybe five years, and they come back and they've got this sheikh badge that's always on, whether they're wearing it physically or not. And if they're not acknowledged with the proper terminology and nobody came and gave the proper royal etiquette and adab before them and sat before the sheikh with humility, they're like, they don't even, these people have no respect for ilm, man. They have no adab for ilm. Uh, I don't know if that's ilm. <laughs> that's, that's not even hilm, you know. That's not even forbearance or a, a courteous personality. To feel somehow that you're entitled because you studied the deen of Allah. You're not. We respect scholars. We respect students of deen. But if you're a student of it, and you're a scholar of it, and you're a servant of it, don't expect respect from people. Don't accept, like, expect it from people, this kind of treatment. We're, we're servants. We're servants. We're not royalty. Du'at and scholars and teachers, they're not royalty, they're servants. They're khuddam of this deen. You know, I go to conventions sometimes, 
And what they do is they have a VIP lounge behind the stage so you can go give your speech and you don't have to meet the people and you can get out from the VIP you know, backdoor access and get to your car so people don't bother you, right? And when I go, I, I was giving this, this talk at a convention and these security guys came, stop, we have to take you now from the VIP lounge. I was like, relax, guys. Let me just talk to people. They just want to say salam. They might have a question. And then they surround me and they're pushing people off and saying, you, you're next. You, you're next. And I'm like, guys, chill out. Let people talk. What are you doing? This is not a concert. I'm not a politician. I'm just here trying to share something I've learned about the Qur'an. And if people genuinely want to say salam, make dua, ask a question, then let them. They're not here for me. I'm here for them. Like it's the other way around. Those people that learn from us, they honor us. They've honored us. Not the other way around. We're at their service. You know? So this, this idea of istikbar it has to be inculcated that we have to stay away from it as much as humanly possible, especially within the religious realm. The worst thing that can ever, ever happen, the worst thing that can ever happen is to a student of this religion, a, a preacher of this religion, a scholar of this religion, that somehow when they are criticized questions or they're asked to perform any kind of service, that they think it is beneath them. Because they should be recognized for something higher. They should not be asked to do some smaller things. You know? That should not be the case. That should never be the case. If Ibrahim السلام, can go and slaughter an animal himself and barbecue it himself and then present it to his guests, then who are you and me? Well, why, why is he not a... He's the, he's the Jalilul Qadr, Messenger of Allah, Khalilullah. He should have at least servants or something. You know, they should have some more adab. They should be slaughtering the animal for him, he not for them. This is, this is the legacy of our Prophet ﷺ. So when we read, These are very heavy words. He refused. He, he, he had deep pride inside of him. He wanted greatness. And he had always been, I'll translate kana here. Kana could be translated for tawqeed here. He certainly was from the disbelievers. That's part of the style of the Qur'an. Kana can be used that way. It can also be translated, That he had always been from the deniers. Now the thing about that, that piece also is critical because... What is denial? You know, the, the idea of being a kafir, we think of someone who doesn't believe in Allah. Obviously, Iblis believes in Allah. He talks to Allah. He engages in conversation with Allah. He was serving Allah. So he, it's not like he says God doesn't exist. So how is he a kafir? Kafir has several meanings. And one of its meanings is denier. He denied the commandment of Allah in one sense. Kafir also means a barrier. Like literally kafir is used, one of the words for farmer in the Arabic language, because they bury the seed in the ground. He, he had buried the, the seed of pride all along and in deep inside of him. And in that sense, he was always a kafir. Kafir also actually means a denier of favor, ungrateful. Shakir, kafir in Arabic. Shakir and kafir. Shakir is grateful. Kafir is ungrateful. He was from those that were ungrateful. Now, why is that important? Because the only break, the only thing that will crush pride is gratitude. The only thing that will crush pride is what? Gratitude. When a believer recognizes the favor that has been done to them. Because the more you recognize favors, the more you internalize that everything I've been given is not mine. It has been given as a favor. So I can't possibly be proud of it because it isn't mine. It was given to me. You can't be proud of something that is not yours. So you, are, you become more and more grateful over, over the favors Allah has given you. And when you understand that fine line, then you'll appreciate the du'as in the Qur'an. 
There are du'as in the Qur'an, if you don't understand this line between gratitude and pride. You have, for example, وَأَمَّا بِنِعْمَةِ رَبِّكَ فَحَدِّثِ As for the favor the Master has done on you, talk about it. Talk about the favor Allah has done on you. Allah has given you health. Appreciate it, acknowledge it. That as a favor Allah has done. Allah has given you the, 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 the gift of knowledge. Allah has given you the gift of Qur'an. Allah has given you these gifts, acknowledge them. Acknowledge Allah's favor. I love Ibn Ashur rahimahullah in his tafsir. Sometimes he would get a thought about an ayah, and it would be like he's never read it anywhere else. But this thought, Allah like kind of inspired him to have this thought, and he would write it, and he would write it, and he would acknowledge the favor of Allah on him at that moment, and he would say, "Hada mimma fatahallahu This is this is part of what Allah opened for me. This is the door Allah opened for me. Like this is a special gift Allah gave me here. He would acknowledge that. That's not a moment of pride. That's for him a moment of of, of gratitude. And this is the kind of dua that you'll find with Dawood and Sulaiman They were given kingdom beyond kingdom, man. They were given all kinds of governorship. And they would actually acknowledge that Allah has given us favor over so many others. Allah, they would acknowledge, and it would increase them in gratitude, not in pride. Kings are supposed to be proud of their kingdom. They're supposed to be proud of their kingdom. But those kings were grateful for their kingdom. That's, that's where the difference lies. It's, you're still acknowledging what you've been given, but you're putting the credit in the right place. So this is Aba wa stakbara wa kana min al kafirin wa qulna. And by the way, if Allah is saying He had always been from the disbelievers, or always been from the deniers, or always been from the ungrateful, you know what that means, right? All this time He was worshiping Allah, all this time He was obeying Allah, but Allah knew all along that all of that was fake. Allah knew all all along that that seed of pride inside of Him is is more poisonous than all the good that He's ever done. You know. Like imagine the ocean, an ocean full of goodness and you drop one drop of poison and the whole thing turns poisonous. That one drop is pride. And that's why Rasulullah would warn us, مِثْقَالَ حَبَّةٍ مِّنْ خَرْدَنٍ مِّنَ الْكِبْرِ He would say, nobody will enter Jannah if they have even this, this fraction of a mustard seed, which is one of the smallest seeds there are, of pride in them. That much. I mean for all other sins, all other, all other vices, they could be huge and they can be forgiven. But this one thing, this one thing wipes everything else out. So we must, must be vigilant about it. May Allah protect us all from kibr and from kufr. وَقُلْنَا يَا Adam. We, we said to Adam, Allah Jalla moves on. Now he's been, shaitan in the story has now been rejected. He's been pushed away. قُلْنَا يَا Adam, أُسْكُنْ أَنْتَ وَزَوْجُكَ الْجَنَّةِ We said, Adam, settle, uskun. Settle is a decent translation of the word uskun. It comes from the word sukun or sakina. Sukun actually means to stop moving after moving. Meaning something was in motion or something was disturbed and it stopped. Actually this is why the word Ibn al-Faris even argues it is related to the Arabic word sikin. Those of you that are familiar with Arabic, sikin means knife. The reason a knife is called a knife is once you pass it over the animal, it stops moving. It's a device to stop motion, to settle something down. The idea of uskun or sakina is the idea that a person's life is full of disturbance and movement. And when they come home, they are settled. They stop. You know, literally in pronunciation and recitation of Qur'an, there are certain letters that have a sukoon on them, which means you stop at them. You stop moving your tongue when you get to those letters. So the idea of uskun doesn't just mean settle. It means relax, stop. The other interesting thing about uskun, as opposed to ukhlud, ukhlud, ukhlud would mean live forever, stay forever. Allah didn't say stay forever. He said, uskun, settle. Because a sukun is something that, you know, there's motion, then you stop, and then it moves again. So it's already alluding to the fact that Adam alayhi salam is going to be in, in Jannah, but then he's going to what? Keep on moving. This is a, a necessary stop in his journey. 
As a matter of fact, when we come back to Jannah in the Akhirah, Allah quotes believers who make it back into Jannah. He describes those scenes, those, the future is the past for Allah, Allah knows it. So He says about the believers who come back, He doesn't say, نَسْكُنُوا فِي الْجَنَّةِ حَيْثُ We're gonna settle, stop somewhere in Jannah. We're, no, نَتَبَوَّأُ مِنَ الْجَنَّةِ Tabawu, different word altogether. Natabawu comes from, from bu, which actually means to, to pick just the perfect place and then move. You know when you're buying a house, you look for like school district, property tax, neighborhood, neighbors, al-jar, qabla dar right? You know, you look for the, the neighbor situation, you look at how far it is from your work, commute, traffic, weather. You look at all these things before you decide. I don't know why we decided to move to Dallas, but we all did. You know, I think we, we kind of just followed each other here, is what happened. Because we didn't come here for the weather, that's for sure. Right? Nor the scenery. <laughs> so it must be each other. Alhamdulillah, I'm happy. Right? So, so but you, when you consider all the factors and then find the perfect spot, that's actually natabawwa'u. And that's, that's the idea of when we come back to Jannah. When we come back to Jannah, there's going to be homes, 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 and then there's your home. And you'll just know that that's yours. Because everything about it is exactly as you wanted it. The location, the angle, the backyard, the front porch, the windows, the doors, the, van, the, like the, the balcony, everything is exactly as you always wanted. And you're like, that's mine, right? And he's like, yeah, that's yours. That's the one. But uskun is not like that. Uskun, you stop somewhere for a little bit, and then you move on. So Allah says, uskun, anta, settle, you, wazawjuka, and your spouse. Settle you and your spouse. Now this is interesting because the Israelite account of the story is that, and there's some corroborated in certain hadith narrations too, is that Adam was alone. And Allah from his rib created Hawa, salamun alayha, right? And Allah even alludes to that in the Quran in Surah An-Nisa, وَخَلَقَ مِنْهَا زَوْجَهَا Right? He created the first nafs and from it he created the spouse, right? So the idea is that Hawa, salamun alayha, our mother, was created from a part, a piece of Adam alayhi salam. This is imp- important for many reasons. It's not going to get highlighted here. That'll come in Surah An-Nisa. So I won't focus on that now. What I will focus on here though is, Allah Azza wa Jalla is talking about a part of the conversation. She's already been created. They're already together. And now Allah Azza wa Jalla is, com- is, is giving them a permission and opening the doors to them and saying, settle down. And He says, Anta wa zawjuka. You and your spouse. Now, they say in Arabic, khairul kalami ma qalla wa dalla. The best kind of speech is when you say little and you get your point across. You could just say, uskuna, both of you settle down. Both of you settle down. But Allah didn't say that. He stopped at uskun, you settle down. And then He highlighted him again, anta. Anta. And then He mentioned the spouse and your spouse. And your spouse. Why in the world would He do that? Allah Azza wa Jal did that because when it comes to settling down in a home, when, it, when you settle down in a home, then the primary instruction and the decision and the allowance is given to who? The, the husband. Because the husband actually, even in dunya, this is the legacy of Adam alayhi salam, even in dunya, you and, you know, in the normal setting, it's the, it's the Allah Azza wa Jalla bima anfaqu min amwalihim, he says about men. Men are given responsibility to maintain women because they spend from their money. So the husband says, I, we need to move to Memphis, we need to move to Chicago, or we need to move to Canada, astaghfirullah, or we need to move to, you know, like, no, all due respect to Canadians, I, I like you guys, eh? So anyway, so, <laughs> so we have to, because the job is there, the business is there. Look, I mean, the, you know, uh, the, my company's transferring me there. And the wife says, no, I don't want to move there, it's cold there. We're not going there, I love it here. I love the palm trees of California. We're never leaving here. I, you know, my, my best friends are here. Wait, hold on. 
I know all of that stuff is here. I know this is hard, but I have to provide for the family. I know this is a difficult decision, but we need to settle, and, and that this is a hard decision I need to make. I hate you. I'll never forgive you for this. Oh, hold on. When it comes to settling, there's an illusion in the Quran that this is a decision in the hands of the breadwinner because he has to make that decision based on where Allah has written the rizq. Where Allah has written the rizq. So, uskun anta al jannah. Settle, stop, you and your spouse. From the idea of sakina, some have also extrapolated that the tranquility inside the home, to maintain peace and tranquility inside the home, the husband has a major role. Your wife will, maybe she gets really nervous, she gets panic attacks, she gets really upset, she gets really angry, she gets whatever. Your job as, your, as a husband is to try to calm her down, to, to settle things. If she has an eruption and you say, oh yeah, I'm capable of a much bigger eruption. <laughs> you know, and you have an equal, not even equal, but far more than opposite reaction, then there's not going to be any peace in the home. So you're going to have to be the source of calm in the household. You know, a lot of times, you know, uh, uh, this is the deeper subject. I guess I'll take my time on it because I, I did want to finish this passage and overview the story. I'll leave that for tomorrow, some juicy stuff for you. But I, I, it's, since it's come up, I'll let you know. In Surah An-Nisa, Allah Azza wa describes women. Actually, um, yeah, in Surah An-Nisa, He describes one of their qualities. Hafidatun lil ghayb. Hafidatun lil ghayb. One of the qualities of, of women is they guard the, literally translated, guardians of the unseen. Guardians of the unseen. Which means several things. One, it means when you're not home. When you're not home. She's not inviting a stranger into the house. She's not making phone calls that you would not want her to make. She's not chatting with someone you wouldn't want her to chat with. In your absence, she's still loyal to you. She protects the integrity of the house. That's one of, one of the, the roles of hafilatun lil ghayb. Bima hafilallah. On account of what Allah meant to be guarded. But the word ghayb is a very broad term in the Arabic language and in the Quran. Ghayb includes things that you can't see. Ghayb includes the future. The future is what from us? It's in the ghayb. What's going to happen tomorrow is in the ghayb from us. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Right? Allah Azza wa Jal even describes in this phrase that women tend to be more protective of the unknown. They, need to, they, they tend to be more nervous about the future. They, need to get, they, get, they tend to get more worried about how things are going to play out. So for example, when you're going to go buy a car, you see it, you sit in it, you're like, I want it. She goes, can we just think about this? Okay, okay, let's just take it for a drive. You're driving around. I mean, you said I want it before you even walked into the dealership. You hadn't even said it. It wasn't iqrarun bil lisan, but it was tasdiqun bil qalb. That was already there. You had confirmed in your heart that that's the car you want. But the wife says, can we think about this? I'm not so sure. I don't know. I mean, mm, do we have to decide right now? <laughs> You're like, woman, let's just go. This is the car that we're getting. Then you go and see, even better, you go see a house. First house you see, what do you do? Let's, let's do this. This is good. I mean, it's got a bathroom. It's, you know, there's a sink in the kitchen. So your needs are met. So let's, let's do this, you know. She says, no, well, can we, can we look at like 250 other homes at least first? <laughs> Maybe there's some, and after everything is said and done, she still says, is there something we're not considering? Is there something we're not thinking? I'm still nervous. I'm not sure. Allah put these two opposite tendencies. On the one hand, within men, He put this idea of just, just let's do it. And He put this reluctance, and this, let's hold on a second, let's consider more things, let's think about this in women. And by the way, if you let either of these run the show, there's going to be a problem. 
because you're going to get a car in two days later. I'm like, I don't think I was ready for this. You know? And if you let her decide, the problem is that you may never decide. Because you're never going to get anywhere. So what does Allah do? First of all, you settle, but your, your spouse is also a fa'il in the ayah. It's not uskun anta ma'a zawjika. If you say ma'a zawjika, then she's in a sense a muta'alliqa maf'ul. She's secondary. Settle you along with your spouse. He says, no, settle you and your spouse, meaning she must settle too. She's part of the decision-making process, but she's second in that process, in that you'll have to make the final call. So beautifully illustrated that she's not, her role is not erased, but it's not given full autonomy either. And it's this balance that's been given in the, in the kalam of Allah. Uskun anta wa zawjuka. And my favorite part of this is what's missing. Sometimes the most beautiful thing in the Quran is what's not been said. You know? What you observe is more powerful in truth than even words sometimes. Allah didn't say, Uskun anta wa zawjuka fil jannah. He said, Uskun anta wa zawjuka al jannah. There's no fee. What does fee mean? In. Settle down, you and your spouse, in heaven. In paradise. Nope. Settle paradise. Settle paradise. Not even in. In would mean somewhere in there. I live in New York. My home is in New York. But when you say my home is New York, what are you saying? The whole city. Jannatin arduha samawatu wal ard. A jannah whose real estate is the size of the skies and the earth. Allah opens up this endless heaven and he gives it to these two here all of it's your home all of it you don't have a home in heaven all of heaven is your home and by the way Quran will describe that, the, that Jannah is full of trees of massive massive branches and we're gonna learn that there are all kinds of fruit in Jannah every kind of Fruit there can be, even each of them has two dis- distinct flavors. So not only is this endlessly massive, but there's an abundance of trees in this heaven. And then he says, فَكُلَا مِنْهَا وَكُلَا مِنْهَا رَغَدًا And eat from it. رَغَدًا يَعْنِي هَنِيئًا هَنِيئًا بِلَا تَرَدُّدْ رَغَدًا means carefree, without hesitation. Don't think twice about anything. Don't step into any part of heaven and think, am I supposed to be here? No, 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 this is yours too. That's yours too. That's yours too. Don't you worry. Sometimes you find a place to sit down and have a picnic and then you realize this is actually private property and they move you. <laughs> you know, are we supposed to be here right now? Is, it, is the park actually open? You know, go wherever you want and eat whatever you want and don't even think twice. Don't even look at the ingredients and say, is there, is there a, you know, gelatin in here? Or... Don't worry about any of it. Just eat. Just eat whatever you like, carefree. Wherever you both may desire. And notice now the verb is both of them together. Not wherever you want and then convince your wife. No, you both desire. So one day the wife says, let's go over there. Go with her. Then the next day you say, you go, let's go over here. And she, they go together. They have carefree reign over all of heaven. And this endless, endless, endless heaven. And then Allah says, Wa la taqraba hadihi shadara. I, neither of you go near this tree. Notice who is he talking to. Now he's talking to man and to woman. When he was talking at first, he spoke directly to the husband. Uskun anta. You're the head of the house, 
hold, I will tell you about settling, and you will pass that down to your family. But when it came to open, what Allah has made halal, He spoke to both of them. When He spoke to, what Allah has made haram, He spoke to both of them directly. You're both held responsible. You can't say, well, my husband did it, so it's not my fault. You can't do that. You know, as head of the household, he has certain responsibilities, but he does not free you from your responsibilities. So if your family is consuming haram, and the wife is consuming haram, and she says, well, I am consuming it because my husband is consuming it. What do you want me to do? She's still held responsible. She has to take a stand. She has to stand up and say, I cannot disobey Allah out of obedience to my husband. I can't do it. This is, this is a difficult position that Allah, you know, that you might think Allah has put you in, but that's a responsibility every slave has. You may have loyalty to your family, you have much more loyalty to Allah. You cannot allow the, halal to, the haram to become halal, and the halal to become haram. So now, Allah says, don't go near هَذِهِ shajara. Now there's a difference between tilka shajara and هَذِهِ shajara. When you say هَذِهِ shajara, it means this tree. When you say tilka shajara, it means that tree. So what does Allah do? As Allah is showing our parents the endless landscape of heaven, He is standing them right next to the one tree that is haram for them. Don't come near this one. By the way, the rest of this universe-sized heaven is open for you. And is there any shortage of trees? No. Go ahead. Just make sure you don't come near this one. In other words, He didn't point at something far away on top of a mountain and say, don't go there. They're right here. And why is that important? Now you know which one is haram clearly. There's no ambiguity. When he was pointing, I was like, was he pointing at the one on the left or the right? I'm not sure. You know, let's try both just to be sure. No, no, no. <laughs> They're right next to this one. That's why hadihi, la taqraba hadihi shadara. Don't either of you go near this tree. And notice he doesn't say, la ta'kula min hadihi shadara. Don't eat from this tree. That's not what he says. He says, don't go near it. The idea is that you know when you take one step towards that tree, it's not haram. When you take two steps towards that tree, it's not haram. The problem is, when you take enough steps in that direction, and all of them were innocent steps, because at every one of those steps, you can turn around and say, I didn't eat from the tree. I just took a step. What are you talking about? How, is that even a step? Haram? Yeah, you know what? Let's not talk about halal and haram. This is advice. The advice is when you go near this thing, it has its own attraction. It will pull you in. It will pull you in, you know? So, Kullu mamnu'in matlub is a famous Arabic saying. Everything forbidden is somehow attractive. Everything you're not supposed to do is somehow something you really, really want to do. You know, when it says, do not trespass, somehow a teenager says, I really want to climb this fence. I don't know what has come over me, but I must go on the other side. When it says, speed limit, 65, something inside you says, 70. Come on, 70. You know? Every time something is forbidden, there's a human tendency, we got to just cross the line, just a little bit, just come on, just a little bit, you know? So we, we when they, he's told, don't, go, don't, don't even go near it, Allah is acknowledging that tendency. When you see it, you're just going to get attracted, you're going to get curious. That's going to be your, your, the death of you. So now this is the second vice. The first vice is that of Iblis, pride, a want of acknowledgement. The second is actually, you know, attraction. Attra- you're attracted to something, and as you are going towards the forbidden, you don't realize that you're getting sucked in. La Fatakuna min Because if you do go near it, then in that case you will both have become from those that have done wrong. Now this is interesting language because min mean from those that have done wrong, the wrongdoers. There are no wrongdoers. How many people are in heaven? Two. So why is Allah saying you'll be from the wrongdoers? This is an allusion to something. 
there are going to be children of Adam in the future, and they will also have the choice to do right and wrong. And you are not in any superior position as parents, you will be considered one or the other. I don't want you to be in this category. Because you are Khalifa, they were made Khalifa, which means they were gonna have offspring, and then humanity will also end up either Zalim or Muqtasid. They're either gonna do wrong or they're not. فَتَكُونَ مِنَ الظَّالِمِينَ The other idea here could also be that already someone has disobeyed me. Who is that? Iblis, and through him his, his dhurriya, his followers. There's a legion of, of jinn that have become shayateen and they've rebelled. I don't want you to follow their footsteps and disobey me. فَتَكُونَ مِنَ الظَّالِمِينَ But then what's really beautiful about the language of this ayah, because you could say, فَتَكُونَ مِنَ الْخَاطِئِينَ مُذْنِبِينَ Sinners, you know, those who've made a mistake. But Allah used specifically ظَالِمِينَ ظَلَمَ أَيْ وَضَعَ شَيْئًا فِي غَيْرِ مَحَلِّهِ ظَلَمَ in Arabic means to put something where it doesn't belong. And most of the time when you say ظَلَمَ or ظَلَمْتُ the idea is ظَلَمْتُ نَفْسِي like you say in the dua, رَبَّنَا ظَلَمْنَا أَنفُسَنَا رَبِّ إِنِّي ظَلَمْتُ نَفْسِي ظُلْمًا Right, so when you're wronging yourself and the literal meaning is I put myself in the wrong place. I put myself where I didn't belong. فَتَكُونَ مِنَ الظَّالِمِينَ Don't come near this tree, otherwise you'll be putting yourselves where you don't belong. You'll be misplacing yourselves. In addition to being wrongdoers, you'll be misplacing yourselves. Go and enjoy heaven wherever you want. رَغَدًا حَيْثُ شِئْتُمَا وَلَا تَقْرَبَ هَذِي شَجَرَ فَتَكُونَ مِنَ الظَّالِمِينَ And despite that exhaustive, endless heaven, I mean if they were to just walk from one end of the heaven to the other, they'd still be doing so. And not make any progress. This is how big the heavens are. This is how big Jannah is. If they wanted to eat the fruits and they never stopped eating, even from one of those trees, they'd still be eating and it still wouldn't be done. Then the question arises, how did shaitan make them slip? فَأَزَلَّهُمَ الشَّيْطَانُ anha. Then shaitan, Allah quickly mentions here, shaitan caused them to slip in regards to it. In regards to the instruction of that tree. And he made them forget about it. He made them think it's not a big deal. The first challenge here is, it's one tree out of how many? Endless. Billions. Even that might be an understatement. And is it easy to find once you are lost in Jannah? No. It's just one tree. Shaitan, even if the door of the halal is wide open, everything good you would want in your life is right there in front of you. Shaitan comes to you and says, Hey, I know you have a good life right now. You're enjoying good food. You have a good family. You have good relations. But I mean, the haram is pretty juicy. Let me show you a little bit. I know you don't need it, but just try it. Just try it. I'm not saying you take it. Just go near it. At least just log in. At least that. I'm not saying you do anything. I'm just saying just, just send it, just a text. Not much. It's just, you know, is it is moving your finger like this haram? No, just relax. Just say hello. What's the big deal? Nothing's going to happen. You have a good thing. There's nothing wrong with what you have. But somehow shaitan says, there's no harm in dabbling into the... Just a little bit, come on. And man, did he get them to go from the endless vastness of heaven and somehow brought them back to that one impossible to find tree <laughs> and to get them to, to, to divulge in it, to indulge in it. That is the power of shaitan. That's the power of waswasa. 
He can make you skip endless amounts of good things and take you to the one thing that's not good for you. Overlook all the goodness and just make you take you to the one thing that's bad for you. Subhanallah. فَأَزَلَّهُمَ الشَّيْطَانُ عَنْهَا Shaitan caused both of them to slip. And notice he, Allah blames who? Both of them. Allah did not say Shaitan caused Hawa to slip and then she caused Adam to slip. He holds both of them responsible. And that's a unique feature of the Qur'an. أَزَلَّهُمَ الشَّيْطَانُ عَنْهَا فَأَخْرَجَهُمَا مِمَّا كَانَ فِيهِ And thus he expelled both of them. فَأَخْرَجَهُمَا مِمَّا كَانَ فِيهِ there are two opinions about that. Shaitan expelled them or Allah expelled them. I'm inclined that Allah then, thereafter, Allah took them out. And I don't even translate this fa' as fa' sababiyah. Is a, uh, actually, this, this fa' is just atif, meaning shaitan made them slip, then Allah took them out of Jannah. In other words, not as a result. We already know the, the decision to send was not as a result of this. But it's actually there, then, after they made this mistake and they learned their lesson of not falling into the trap of shaitan again, now they were let, ready to live a life in this world. So Allah expelled them or took them out from the place they used to be in. Mimma kana fihi. In what they used to be in. And that's a beautiful expression. Mimma kana fihi. In what they used to be in. Because by saying that, Allah is saying what it was can't even be described to you. What they had. What they, what they enjoyed. It's just in, inside the ma. You know, it's just that what. And that, that what comes back in a hadith also, like مَا لَا عَيْنٌ رأت, What no eye has ever seen. Then Allah addresses all of them. إِهْبِطُوا We said, descend all of you. Now who in the world is all of you? One opinion of the Mufassirun says, this is Adam, Hawa, and Iblis. And you're going to be enemies to each other, meaning Adam and Hawa, our parents, are going to be enemies to... Iblis, and Iblis will be enemy to them. The other opinion is that actually, while that is true, the ba'dukum li ba'd could mean that if, you don't, if you're not careful, you two will be enemies to shaitan, shaitan will be enemy to you, but shaitan will make you enemies of each other too. Shaitan will make you fight each other also. So there will be a constant struggle between man and woman. And as a matter of fact, that struggle won't just happen inside the confines of the home. There will be entire societies where women are oppressed by men. There are going to be entire movements where women say we want equal and superior rights to men. And there's going to be a tussle in society between the rights of men and the rights of women. You're going to almost become enemies to one another if, you don't, if you're not careful about shaitan. That's one implication. The other implication in Ihbitu is Allah is directly speaking only to Adam and Hawa, but because through them He's speaking to all of humanity. He's speaking to all of humanity. That he used the plural and said, all of you have to come down now. Meaning you and all of your children that are to follow. And the sad reality is, some of you will follow the footsteps of shaitan, will go near what you shouldn't, and as a result, you will become enemies to each other. Humanity will be enemies within themselves. There will be nations that will go to war. Brothers that will fight each other over inheritance. There are going to be fights and arguments. And violence on this earth. So, بَعْضُكُمْ لِبَعْضٍ عَدُوٌ وَلَكُمْ فِي الْأَرْضِ مُسْتَقَرٌ while you are going to have on the earth a temporary place, istiqrar, temporary place to stop. Istiqarra literally uh, is to find coolness or relaxation also. Uh, from qarar, qarar means coolness also, like qurratu ain, coolness of the eye, right? So istiqrar suggests that you're traveling and you just kind of take a, take a breath under a tree a little bit and then you keep going. That was istiqrar, okay? And that's the parable that Rasulullah gave of this life. 
of a traveler who just stopped under the shade of a tree for a little bit. So you will have a place to relax in this world for a little bit, to, to find some coolness and relaxation for a little bit. Mustaqarrum, temporary place of residence. That's why the when Allah Azza wa Jal describes Jannah, He says, "Innaha hasunat mustaqarran wa muqaman." Why does He say that? You ever wonder? It's a beautiful place as a temporary residence and a permanent residence. I'm like, why did He say temporary? I thought Jannah is only what permanent residence, because it was temporary for who? For Adam salam, and the next time we come back, the children come back, it's permanent residence. So he referred to both of them. But then he used the same phrase for Jahannam and he said, إِنَّهَا سَاءَتْ مُسْتَقَرًّا وَمُقَامًا It's a horrible place as a temporary residence and a permanent residence. He said that about hell also, but for a completely different reason. There are people that are going to be hell, but not forever. And then there are people that are going to be in hell forever. And he made reference to both of them. سَاءَتْ مُسْتَقَرًّا وَمُقَامًا Subhanallah. So here, وَلَكُمْ فِي الْأَرْضِ مُسْتَقَرٌ You're going to have a place to relax for a little bit on this earth. A, f- a place to find coolness on this earth. Suggesting this world is not a curse. This is not a bad place. This is not a punishment that Allah sent us to. And then uh, he adds, وَمَتَاعٌ إِلَى حِينَ And enjoyment and utility until a temporary time, until a given time. Mata' in Arabic can be do- used for two things. It can be used, number one, for enjoyment. And number two, it can be used for a device. Something you do that you don't necessarily get any enjoyment out of, but you use it, like a spoon. A spoon is not, wow, what a spoon, I love this thing, I enjoy it so much. No, you don't, you just use it, you know. But there are other things that you enjoy, like somebody enjoys riding a horse, or enjoys a car, or enjoys, you know, luxury. You know, a chair by itself, you sit on it, it's mata. But when you add luxury, cushioning to a chair, design on a chair, then it becomes more enjoyable, that's also mata. So Allah is mentioning here that in this world you will have things that you will use and also things that you will enjoy. You know, ilahin until a given time, until a temporary time. In other words, Allah is saying to humanity, this existence that you are and I are in, and many of us have crossed our halfway point already in the game, right? This, this life that we're living in is a temporary phase for us. And Allah says, this began with Adam salam. Enjoy this for a little bit, but it's not a punishment. Now that you've, been, you've learned your lesson, that you can be expelled out of, or you, you know, shaitan can get you to, to do horrible things even though the doors of halal are open, look out for that lesson when you exist here, when you live your life here. And so Allah Azza wa Jal sends human beings here. I will make one last mention and we're done for the day. I'll explain the ayah tomorrow, but I just want to show you the correlation. It's so beautiful. In this ayah, Allah mentions our stay and our sustenance. Right, a place, mustaqar, a place to stay temporarily. Mata, things to utilize and enjoy, including our food, our, our our housing, whatever else, right, our rides and whatever else. Which means materially, we are taken care of in this world. In a material sense, this ayah takes care of all of our needs. But human beings are not just material creatures. I kept emphasizing to you that we are a material, physical body, and we are also a spiritual entity, the ruh. You'll notice in the next ayah, Allah says, I will not just send you in this world and take care of your material needs, I will take care also of your spiritual needs, the needs of your soul. And that's in the next ayah. And thus, humanity's needs are complete in two ayat. In this ayah and in the next ayah, the needs of humanity are complete because in the next ayah, Allah will offer, and whenever guidance comes to you from me, you better follow it. Because that will fulfill the needs of your soul. That will fulfill your ruh. May Allah Azza wa Jal make us of those who hold on to His word with all sincerity and are able to live by it. Barakallahu li wa lakum fil Quran al-Hakim wa nafa'ani wa iyaakum bil ayati wa dhikr al-Hakim.